God said to me this morning to, uh, to make sure we, we recognize, I suppose, what he, the phrase he gave me was the mystery of Holy Spirit. And uh, God doesn't want to be put in a box. Uh, God shouldn't be put in a box. But often we try and put him in a box so that we can understand him. And, uh, and in doing so, we limit what we experience, I think. And the, the journey of God is not to, to disappoint us or to um, punish us for that, but to lead us into greater revelation and experience of who he is in order that from that experience of who he is, we might begin to fully receive what's already been made available to us. And I want to touch on that again uh, in the message a little bit along. So uh, as you can see on the screen, we have a series this year that we're doing called, well, let me ask first, are you guys okay? Everyone all right? Give me a smile. Encourage me that you're actually happy to be here. Some of you. Awesome. I am interested to know that you are well. I don't just ask that as rhetoric. Actually, I am interested. Um, hope you're well. Hope life is going well for you. So we're in the series Belonging. And uh, just by way of uh, helping others who haven't been here all year, let's uh, make sure that we all understand what the four key themes have been this year under the heading of belonging. We started at the beginning of the year with the first one, which is dum, 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 identity. That's right, we get our identity in Christ. And then we moved into the second phase of, of our series of belonging, and the second subject was covenant connection, that we're bound in covenant, not just to our salvation, but to all the goodness that flows out of that relationship that we have with God. Uh, third, third part of the series of belonging was um, empowered in freedom. That's right, that Christ came in order that we would be set free and live as free sons and daughters of God. And finally, the fourth part of the series, which we're landing uh, this month, is Engaged in purpose, that's right. Come on, we've all, we've, all, we've all had a refresher. That's awesome. So at the end of the year, we're focused on this concept of being engaged in purpose. And, and much of what I've been looking into and, and I suppose bringing as words uh, when I'm here is, is that leading people in order that they would discover God's purpose for who they are and who, because of who he made them to be. And uh, we, we dive in deep and I love to help people Uncover that, because it's, it's in within each of us. It was created in our DNA when God breathed life into us at conception. It was, um, it was filled with promise uh, when we were born, and it's there. we just got to uncover it. We've got we to dive and, and, and get to it. And, and that is uh, partly my reason for doing the night, November night school, is I wanted to, um, outside this context, provide some practical workshops in order that we could lead people through the discovery process and and in being connected to God, we, we have greater revelation of, of who we are because of who He is, and then we can, we can explore that. So that's what November Night School is. It starts this afternoon at what time? 4.30, and, um, and then we'll pause for dinner, and then we'll go home. It's going to be fun. You're welcome to join us. Uh, but I want to take a slightly different angle this morning than I'm going to take this afternoon. Uh, to do that, I'd like to show you a, a video. Uh, this is supposed to be funny, so don't get offended. Make sure we've got volume um, up on the, when I press click. Uh, so don't get offended. I'm going to explain it in a minute. But hopefully you have a little chuckle like we did when we watched it the other day. So, so you might recognize some of these tunes. Me, really 
all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about how I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. No one else All this can for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. So... I do have a reason for showing that to you. I'm not, uh, I'm not jibbing at our musicians or our band. Uh, we, we work hard to make sure it's not about performance, it's about worship. I'm not taking a swipe at those songs because those tunes I recognize, I remember my mum walking around the house singing them, standing in the kitchen chopping vegetables, singing those songs. Are very, those tunes with different words uh, are very familiar to me. Uh, so so why, why, what would be my point in, in showing that video? What do you think I'm doing? Apart from trying to have fun that it might not be about us, perhaps. Sorry if that's a shock. That's just, we'll find out when we get into the message. Is there anything else that I might be doing in that? We might, yeah, show how far we've come from what we should be to where we are today. Absolutely, yeah. So we're on a slope and uh, society, uh, you're not surprised by that, are you? No, that's right, we, we see that. Okay, there is, as, as she says, there's a, there's a growing epidemic um, that uh, you might see, I certainly see it, uh, I'm guilty of it, I'm, uh, there's a tension that, that as, as human nature we might slide down the slippery slope, um, and it's called narcissism. So what that is, for explanation, is self-absorbed, self-interested, self-obsessed, or self-focused. What does it look like? Selfies? Storylines, followers, it's about likes, it's about comments, it's about shares, it's about feedback. I mean, don't tell me you don't check your latest post to see if you got likes, for those of you on social media. Perhaps you go one step further and you might check who it was that actually liked it. But then you can go one step further and you can actually check who it was that didn't like it. Because we sometimes get into that slippery slope and the sobbing, thumb-sucking mess at the bottom of that slope where we, we value ourselves based on the feedback we did or did not get. Because we're all about me. I'm just using it as an example. You can check out music videos and find a whole lot of other examples about it. You can go and watch uh, some of the news or the politicians and see some more examples about it. We won't get into that today. But the reason I highlight it is there's a risk when I start leading you on a pathway to help you discover your purpose that you suddenly start singing, it's all about me. It's a risk, and I'm aware of it. It's a tension. The invitation or the challenge that I'm presenting to you this month is, is God-led, I believe, but it's not about self-interest. It's not about self-focus. It's not about boosting you up and puffing you up so you can love yourself more in an unhealthy way. I'm not trying to encourage a self absorbed, self-obsessed people. 
the clincher right here at the beginning of the message is this. You've got to kill self-interest. Every single one of us should be challenging ourselves on how we live our lives. The Word of God provides a mirror for us to reflect on. We can get feedback from our peers. Ash talked about working with a mentor. Uh, many people get wise counsel. Some people get unwise counsel. Whatever you do, you've got to challenge how you're living your life. I know people who have retired and have said, well, now that I'm retired, it's all about me. Time out. Time for rest. But I can't find the concept of retirement in the Bible when I look at the family of God. I've heard people say that they're super busy, they're in a busy season of life, they've got young kids, or the business is just overloading them, or they've got lots of commitments in the community, and so they'll wait for life to get a bit more quiet before they serve God. Well, I can tell you there's never a better day than today to start serving God. One of my friends, uh, close friends, has said to me for 12 years that when he makes his first million, he's going to be extravagantly generous. And I keep asking him, how's that working out for you? Because his plan's not bearing the fruit that he says it was. So this is not a telling off. I'm trying to point you to something that Jesus says in the Gospels. He makes it very, very clear to us that any of you who wants to be a follower of Jesus must give up your own way. You must take up your cross meaning death to self-interest, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, Jesus says. Um, But if you give up your life for the sake of me and my good news, you will save your life. And what do you benefit if you have 2,000 followers on Instagram but lose your own soul? It doesn't say that, but I just put that in there. (laughs) So if you try and hang on to your life, you could lose it. Now, this is, this is my warning. This is my, my foundation before we start talking about purpose because God has designed us with purpose. He's filled us with promise. The potential in each one of you is far beyond what we're experiencing at the moment, every single one of us, including me. But I'm just warning that we should not make it about us. So how does that sit with you? Does it rest heavy? Does it make you nervous? Are you worried about what I might say? Or are you worried about being judged for the way you're living your life? Let's keep ourselves open this morning to what God wants to say. We're going to look at what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels. And I hope out of that you'll discover that your purpose is missional. I want to bring this today. I want to support the church family for those that are here and many who listen on the podcast. I want to lead you in a pathway where you understand that you do have a God-given purpose and it is missional. I want to inspire people to unlock the destiny that's inside them and let it shine for the world to see in all its glory because it's God's glory that shines. But in all of that, it's really important we understand our purpose is missional, and that's the title of our message today. So what does the word missional mean? Just to help those with uh, definition, there are three things that I would say about this. Obviously, it's about a mission. What is your mission? Your mission is external. It's external to you. It's not about you. It's not about self-interest. That was the point of that dreadful video at the beginning, was to make sure that we realize that in our mission and our purpose in life and partnership with God, it's not about me. It's external to who I am. It's beyond the way that I think. It's beyond what I even I dream of. It's all about what God thinks. Mission is given by God, and it's based on what He sees, not what you see. Take Moses in the Bible. Read the story of Moses, beginning at Exodus chapter 1. Moses has an experience in a burning bush encounter where God himself brings forth the call on his life and 
He's the man of the season in order to lead the Israelites out of slavery as promised by God earlier. And Moses responds, a little unsure of himself, he replies to the creator of the universe with a whimper and a whine and the thumb in his mouth. He says, God, I'm a bumbling idiot. I'm not confident and I'm no good with my words. God says, I know. But let's do it anyway. And the rest of the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is all about that journey that God leads Moses on who is and remains a bumbling idiot. And yet God achieves amazing things as Moses leads people. So don't write yourself off. Don't judge yourself. Don't base God's expectations of you on what you think or what you see. Because what we're trying to do is help you uncover the glory that's already within you. It's never about serving ourselves. It's always external. Your purpose is missional and it's all about the gospel. It's focused on the gospel. It's centered on the gospel. What is the gospel? Gospel is the message of Jesus Christ and the love of God that comes through Jesus that changes our world. That's what your purpose is. That's what your mission is. So your mission is the message that is your life that other people read every day. Because most of the people that you encounter outside of this building don't read the Bible being the book or the app. They read your life. So your life should be the message that is the gospel that is about how much God loved you and transformed your life as a result of your faith in him and response to what he'd done. It's gospel-centric. It's the purpose in every single one of us. God wants you to be his message. Your life declaring the glory of God. Thirdly, missional. Our purpose is missional. It's all about love in action. I want to finish with that at the end of today. We can discover that purpose and in doing so discover how other people can see the love of God through us. As I speak today, I have every expectation that God's going to spark something in people, activating something in your heart or your mind or your spirit where you go, whoa, hang on, what was that? Someone in our church has a testimony of that. She's not here today, but she came and spent time with me and said, look, the message that you spoke on X, Y, Z, it doesn't matter what the message was, but in the midst of it, God arrested her heart began to open her eyes to how what she did could actually make a difference in people's life. And she just wept as she told me how much God had blessed her in the process of showing her what she could bring to serve people in the community. I'm expecting that to happen today to you. That's what I'm desiring for every single one of us, that you'd be overcome and overwhelmed at how much God has given you in order that you could bless other people. So let's be open, because every single one of us has a part to play as a part of our church family and what we do to show God's love to this town. Let me pray. God, today would you open our ears and eyes to see what you have for us as individuals? Would you bring the word of God into our hearts in order that it would change us? That we wouldn't just hear it and nod, but that we would receive it like bread and food that nourishes us, brings change to the inside of us. We submit ourselves. We, we say it's not about us this morning. It's about your message for us. And God, as we journey through the scriptures today, we invite you to bring your transformation, to spark us, to sow seeds of hope and destiny in every single person, young and old. And we would be charged knowing that our purpose is missional. Amen. Key passage of scripture for today that we're going to point to is found in the book of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at uh, quite a few verses here. We're going to anchor ourselves here for the majority of the message. So you want to find that on the screen or put your finger in the page. 
I want to start by reading you the short section, verses 13 through 16. The Bible says this, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples. Actually, he's speaking to the crowd still at this stage. He says to everyone, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This being our passage, let's start by looking at the first verse. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, you're the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Now, in Jesus' day, to the audience that was listening on the side of the hill as he spoke, they knew that salt was very valuable and very useful. It was common for every house to have bags of salt that they gathered from the Dead Sea as the water reduced, the salt was dried, and they gathered it. It was a common household item, and it could be used for cooking, as you might guess. You probably do that at home, some of you that like seasoning. But salt can be used for cleaning. Salt can be used for personal health. Salt can be used for fertilizer in the ground. And salt can also be used for preservation. It was widely used, it was a commodity, and in such, sometimes they would pay soldiers with salt because it was just as good as having money. There's so many different ways they could use it. It was something everyone was familiar with. You see, the thing is, whether it was cooking, health, or fertilizer, or um, preservation, salt was an influence, and it changed its environment, as it does change the flavor in your food. So Jesus says to you, as he says to his audience here, you're the salt of the earth. And that translation means that you're the salt of the earth, the world we live in, instead of the heavens. You're not called to influence the heavens, you're called to influence the earth we live in. You are the salt, one writer says, where man lives. This means you are the influence, you're, you're called to be the influence where man, mankind inhabits the earth. That's what Jesus is saying to us. But then he says this, he's asking this rather sharp and pointed question. He says, what, is, what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? And the meaning in this phrase is not just about food. Although Jesus is playing on a common understanding of salt, and we read it and go, oh, well, we could not have flavor. Well, actually, it's way different than that. You see, the phrase implies, actually, when you understand the words and the meaning of the words Jesus uses, is that salt has lost its strength. Salt has lost its strength, which means it actually is foolish. Now, the root meaning of this word comes from the Greek word, which means to make dull. So when salt loses its strength, it becomes dull, which decreases its influence, which means it becomes useless. May as well throw it out. So when you are not active, when you are not an influence... Because you are hidden, you become dull, and then you become useless. So just as there are many ways that salt can be used, there are also many ways that you can be used. 
many different purposes in the kingdom of God and, and, and many different purposes in the body as, as we learn in other scriptures. There's plenty of uses for salt, but I just want to look at one of them today, and that is this, salt. Salt is a preservative. So salt was used to keep food from going rotten. You see, when they went to the supermarket, oh, that's right, they didn't have supermarkets. When they went to the market to buy the fish for their family, they would have to take it home. But they don't have a refrigerator, do they? Because they've got no electricity. They haven't worked out how to keep food cold, but they don't want to keep their food rotten. They want to keep it safe, so they preserve it by packing it in salt. One of the key uses. And so when we go fishing um, off off the coast in my friend's boat, he takes a whole heap of salt ice in the chili bin. And it preserves, you would do the same, Sharon, when you go fishing and catch all those wonderful snapper you never give me. <laughs> Here's the point. Salt prevents decay. So what does that mean for us? You, me. We are the salt. We're called to prevent decay. Now you'll notice from the picture there with the fish and the, and the salt is that the fish has got to be in contact with the salt and the salt has to be in contact with the fish in order for the salt to influence it. You can't leave the salt ice in a plastic bag and hope that your fish doesn't get rotten. It's got to be in contact. Now in the same way you've got to be connected with the world in order that you can bring the influence of the kingdom of God into the world. That's why we can't be hidden. If we're hidden, we lose our strength. If we lose our strength, we become dull. If we become dull, we become useless. We've got to be in contact. You've got to remain salty. You've got to, and that's not salty like teenagers, that's different. <laughs> You've got to be connected to God in a personal relationship. You've got to be engaged, all right? And you've got to be in contact. So you can't be hidden, you can't be dull, you can't be without influence. Jesus is saying we are the salt. Our mission is to prevent decay. And you have to look at the world, you see there's plenty of decay. We won't get into that. Let's look at a couple more verses. We've got a bit to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, Jesus continues and says, Hey, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket and hides it. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it can bring light to the whole house. You remember, in the days of Jesus, these people lived in these... Um, mud brick houses that were just one big room little stable at the end where they kept the animals out of the weather and the sun but one big room so you could put your lamp up on the stand in the center of the room and and it casts light to the whole house there's no like seven room house with a dining area and a separate room for the kids man we're all in one big room together that's how they lived in those days so when jesus talks about light in a house everyone goes oh yeah we know what that is because they didn't have a TV, remember? So there's no artificial light coming from devices or TV screens. It's a candle or a lamp, lantern with oil. And then he says this, he says, you're the light of the world. What does he mean by that? Well, as I looked into it, it became more and more obvious to me the more I researched it was that there was one single meaning he had to the fact that he would say you are light. And by light, he means the light that comes from the presence of God. You read the scriptures and study the the encounters people have with God, you see it's just this bright light. There's this radiant glory that comes from God himself that we share in. 
angelic visitations in the Bible. I, I can't say that I've had one, but I read about them here, and I read books from others who have. Bright light comes into the room as someone from the throne room of God enters the physical presence. Countenance of Jesus, as a man, on a hilltop, changed. Why? Presence of God displayed his heaven reality to the three friends that were there, and he was different. He was transfigured, the word the Bible uses. Well, let me encourage you and say this, you carry the same light because you carry the spirit of Jesus. We just wear clothes, hide it a bit. Keep your clothes on, by the way. But you are the light of the world. You are called to be the light of the world, and there's a definition here when he talks about the world. Because he doesn't say you're the light of the church, he doesn't say you're the light of the family, you're the light that sits inside a lamp. He says you're the light of the world. And one writer says it this way, he says, we are the light among the ungodly multitude. We are the light amongst the mass of mankind who is alienated from God and therefore hostile towards him. We are the light of God. So what does light do? Well, look at this, light prevents darkness. So think about your house, and you've got the light on in your uh, living area, and it's night time. Right? Say it's 10 o'clock at night. You've got the lights on in the house, it's nice, easy to see everything, what's happening. And, and when you open the door to the outside, does darkness rush in? Does it get dark in your lounge? No, no. Of course not. Because darkness doesn't overcome light, light overcomes darkness. So when you open the door, the light floods out of the door into the darkness. It makes it light outside. Jesus is saying that we are the light that removes the darkness. We're called by God to shine his light to those who are alienated or disconnected from him. We're the light of the world in a dark place. So we've got to be connected to the source of the light to keep our light shining bright. That goes without saying. But we've got to be in a place where we can influence the darkness around us. It means we've got to be prepared We've got to remain strong so that we're not worn out or depleted. We're not separated. We're not isolated. We've got to retain our brightness. And the honest truth is, in this church, that's why we do November night school. It's why we do School of the Spirit discipleship classes monthly. It's why we, why we host small groups. It's why we do book clubs. It's why we do Bible studies. It's why we have ministry groups that gather together to keep people connected in order that the light would shine brightly. Light must remove the darkness of the world. So Jesus invites us. No, Jesus calls us, he challenges us, he draws us to be the salt and light of the world. We're called to prevent decay and we're called to remove darkness. Our purpose is missional. We are the message. So, before I move on, I just want to say this, because I, I, I hear what, I don't actually have the supernatural talent, so I'm just talking rhetorically, but I hear what you're thinking. Sometimes I hear what you're thinking, actually, I do, but that's okay, we'll talk about that later, but, but, but I, I hear some of you going, oh, maybe you, but not me. Maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not ready yet, maybe I'm not prepared, maybe I'm like Moses. And I wanted to pause right in the middle here before I move on and say, don't reject the message that God's giving us, that you are salt, you are light, you are the one that prevents decay, you are the one Jesus is inviting to remove the darkness. Don't think, oh, Leah, I've heard this before, 
and nod and not do something about it. Don't do a Moses. Make excuses. Because what I want to show you next is I want to bring you into the context of what Jesus just taught us. And when I show you the context, it's going to mean you've got a whole lot more confidence. So it's okay to have that. Thank you for your participation, Holly. <laughs> Holly loves what I'm saying. You can all agree with me from time to time like she does. That would be really encouraging. Thank you very much. Thank you, Holly. I'll buy you a Christmas present. Christmas present for you too. There's a foundation we've got to understand because if you don't get the next part, you miss the whole point of this. So I'm pausing to say, don't write it off yet. Don't write the Word of God off. Pause and let me give you the foundation because I don't want you to shrink back. I don't want you to think, oh, no, I can't be salt. Oh, no, I can't be light. I'm not ready. Someone else can do it instead of me. No, that's not what I want you thinking. Remember, salt can't prevent decay if it's not in contact with that which has risk of decaying, and light always overcomes darkness, and you carry that light. So God in his wisdom, God's not slow. You'd agree with that? God in his wisdom has chosen you, and me, and everyone look around you. Everyone look. We. Everyone's nervous. No, don't look. (laughs) Might pick me for something. I'll pick you for something anyway, whether you look at me or not. We've all been chosen. So let's look at the context. Let's look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, because this is the context for when Jesus says you're salt and light. And it's called the Beatitudes. The beginning of the passage of Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus sitting on a hilltop. It's called the Sermon on the Mount or Mountain. He's elevated up, the crowds gather, and he sits there and he teaches them. And this passage, well known, it's probably got a heading in your Bible like mine called the Beatitudes. This is godly wisdom, but it's a series of nine thoughts that are pivotal for you to lock in this foundation so you actually believe me when I say you're salt and light. More importantly, I don't care about whether you believe me or not, I want you to believe what Jesus says about you. But sometimes you write yourself off because you don't believe what God says. So the first one, the first one, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You may have heard this once, twice, ten times, I'm not sure. But when you read these, I want to highlight to you, when you read these nine statements, you might read them from a Western point of view with the language being English, which is not quite sufficient. And you might think that there are a list of performance objectives for you to measure up in order that you might have some good things. So I could be blessed, maybe, if I was poor in spirit, and then if, if that happens, then I might get whatever the kingdom of heaven is. If I can be diligent and careful, poor in spirit, maybe I'll earn that. But that's not what Jesus means. Just so you know, the phrase poor in spirit means contrite and, and humble. Let's look at the third one. I just picked two randomly. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the land, the whole earth. So this doesn't mean after you have been beaten into a position of meekness that you get inherit the property. Because Jesus is talking about the promised land, promise of Abraham being land. So it doesn't mean this. What it actually means, what I want to show you is the way Jesus presents these to the, the audience that are listening is 
as um, good um, Hebrew listeners, when Jesus says blessed, he's not saying you will be blessed. He's actually saying you're already blessed. It's not hopeful. It's hope-filled. It's done. The language, the word, the, the, I don't want to go into the root meaning of all the blah, 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 but I just want you to trust me when I say the scholars tell us that this word blessed means not you might be, it is you have been. That's a good word. You should say amen to that. Jesus is saying you're already blessed because you've been given kingdom qualities you don't have to strive for. And the nine Beatitudes are nine kingdom qualities that have been made available to us. The thing with the kingdom of God is we just get to choose whether we live with them or not. Because the way you choose to live doesn't change what he's already done. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessings are ours to appreciate because God has done it for us. Let's compare. Let's think about your salvation. The moment you decided to trust that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and you decided to agree with the truth that he came to earth and died as a man in order that you didn't have to be separated from God anymore, the moment you sat in that space of faith, you received what the Bible calls salvation. That's choice of faith. How much did you do to earn your salvation? Sorry? Nothing. Zero. We can't perform in order for God to love us or receive us in salvation. So what makes us think that we have to perform in order to receive the kingdom blessings that Jesus outlines in the Gospels? Same deal. God is not like, well, on my left hand I have the people who work hard and on the right hand I have people who don't have to. That's what causes the division in the church. God says through Jesus Christ, I've opened up a way for you to live and I've done it all for you. Why don't you come in and enjoy it? So the Beatitudes, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he means is this, you become humble before God and declare your need for him. You've already possessed the kingdom. It's in you. Not by work, by grace. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land, what he means is those who wait for the Lord and his power have already won the jackpot of the inheritance. Hallelujah. You're not so excited. The good news is you don't have to work for it. Jesus already worked for it. It's won, it's done, it's yours. So what we've got to see is that these beatitudes are kingdom living, but it's a foundation for us for our missional purpose. When I invite you into the place that Jesus invites you into to be salt and light in our community, what I'm saying is Jesus made it possible. Here's the foundation. Stand on that. It'll make it easier. Because it's not about who you are or how good you are, how clever you are, or how experienced you are. God calls, God uses the called, not the qualified. God can use a donkey to bring a message to a people. He can use people like me or you. So we've got to be confident in our mission and the revelation of the Beatitudes that Jesus says, hey, kingdom living has done. 
I've established it. It's yours. When you put your faith in, in God, you become his sons and daughters. Therefore, you become rightful heirs to the inheritance. Same as Jesus. How many more times, different ways could I say that? But what I would say is this. We've got to be confident in our mission. Because Jesus makes his victory our victory. And that's the point. So you can turn to your neighbor and say, well, what are you waiting for? Hurry up. Get on with it. What I want to do is just bring this to a close, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and then I've got a few things to talk about. So verse 16 says this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your light shine. Today I wanted you to see that your purpose is missional, it's outside of you, it's gospel-centric, and it's all about love and action. The purpose is to be salt that prevents decay and light that removes darkness. The foundation for doing all of that is our confidence in Jesus and what his victory is that is ours to inherit. So what we must do is in that confidence, we must let our light shine as love. And what I would say, as it says on the screen, is we've got to send our love further than our arms can reach. So practically, if we're sitting here together on a Sunday morning, this is not your mission. A friend of mine, his pastor, says to his church, this is just a refreshment break. We get oranges, get a pep talk, and get back out on the field. We've got to go further than our arms or our eyes can reach. What does it mean? Well, on November night school, I'm going to be teaching people how to discover their God-given purpose to be effective for God's kingdom in the place of influence they're called to. So if you're a teacher... You're called to be God's salt and light in the school, in the community of families that you serve. If you're a business owner, you've got clients who need to hear about the love and power of Jesus Christ, and the way you conduct your business and the way you interact with them. If you're a parent involved in the community, then you're called to be the influence that brings God's healing and love to families that you encounter. Building sites, community groups, sports clubs, factories, schools. We're all called to be sold and light. And, and so that's the purpose of the night school, is really to unlock that in an individual way and get people on a pathway. So what we've got to do is gather together to get our strength together, but we've got to send our love further than our arms can reach. And what I love about this church, established well before I got here, and I hope it gets established well beyond my tenure here, and that is this, that we are a church that is mission-focused. I don't want that to change one bit. In fact, what I'd really like to see is I'd like to see it strengthened. That we would send our love further than our arms can reach. So we've been actively involved these past few years with an orphanage in India. Here's a selfie with some of the kids. There's Phil in the corner, grinning. We were there a wee while ago. Ryan, you were there with us that day. And we had a whole bunch of fun with the kids. But the point is not to have fun. The point is to tell them about Jesus. The kids in this orphanage in India have been rescued out of horrid situations. There's many, many of them that have gone through the orphanage. Some are now graduated working on their own. Others are still there fully dependent on the support we provide so that they can have clothing and food and schooling to educate themselves in order that they would be lifted out of poverty and not have to go back to the horrific positions that they were saved out of, rescued out of. But what's most important about this location is that these kids get the message that Jesus loves them and they get discipled in that truth, so they live in their workplace as salt and light. So as a church, we want to continue to invest in the work we're doing in India. 
as we set our budget for our missions program for 2018, we want to make sure we're strengthening the work that we do in India. Now, the pastor's over there, Phil's not here today, but he'll tell you they've got a vision the size of Texas. Well, actually, the size of India. It's massive, and we're sitting down going, how the heck do we help them get 500 acres and all the other things that they want to do that God's given them as a dream? But you know what? We can just do our part. We can believe and partner with God, and He'll do His part. It's a massive vision. But I'll tell you what, it's bigger than just me pedaling my bike or emailing them encouragement. It takes all of us. Some will need to go and do the encouraging over there. Some will need to support that and fund that from here. Some will just need to continue to the financial support that keeps the ministry running. We're also partners with Hope Village. This is a photo of the kids in Hope Village from when we were there in July. We took a group of young people, young people plus me, went to Hope Village and we spent time with them. Now what I love about this environment is these kids get adopted into Hope Village, they get educated, they get loved, and they get taught about the love of Jesus Christ. 62 of them currently on site. I've told you many stories about this before, but what I'd encourage you to do is track down Hope Village on Facebook. Like their page, browse their photos, see the videos. You'll, you'll see there's a team there now from Australia and they're playing games and they had a massive water fight two days ago and they just post up videos of all the kids running around with water balloons having a huge amount of fun with a whole bunch of people that went to tell them that Jesus loves them. This is not new news to them. But every time I go, they run up to me, they recognize me now, they hug me, they say, we're so glad to see you. And that's about as much as they can say in English. But my point is this, they know that this church, North End Church, loves them. They know that North End Church is supporting them, among many other churches. We send money every year to provide food and clothing and hygiene and schooling for some of these kids. We're one of many partners that do that. When I showed you the photos recently, we'd been up there and they're just starting their junior high school building. So instead of just educating, restricting the education to the junior school, which is 340 kids, most of whom are Muslim, coming to a Christian school every day, six days a week, instead of just the junior school, they're now building a junior high, so there's a pathway. Because the, the local people know that education is a pathway out of poverty. We're partners with that. I would invite you Give generously to the work we do in missions. Maybe save your money as well alongside that or sponsor someone to go. Your life will always be richer because of the sacrifice. Here's the kids doing activities with some of ours and uh, some others from Australia. They just love spending time with people. It's a fantastic way that we as a church can come together and all of us become stronger in order that we would support the work that's happening there. We want to do a trip up there next year. Some of you need to come. Because I can tell you from others' experience who have gone, is when your heart's there, God shows you things you can't see from here. Not everyone's called to be a missionary. Not everyone's called to be a preacher. Not everyone's called to live over there permanently. Some are. But I'll tell you what, when you go and you serve those kids, self-sacrifice, God does something in your heart. You come back. Way better, way different. We also, as a church, invest in the Bible school in Indonesia down the road. This is a photo, the end of a, um, a week of teaching that I did in, in March when I was there. Investing and discipling these young ones who will become church planters across Indonesia that will be ministers alongside other pastors that want to see the love of Jesus Christ spread across a huge, huge nation. 
just been invited back to do some teaching next year with the Bible school and also to participate in graduation for some of them who have finished their three years. I'd love to take some people with me. One, so I don't have to do all the teaching. I mean, I love doing this, but tell me, when you do it five times a day through a translator, you get tired. Great opportunity to invest into these ones that are hungry to learn about the power and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We invest financially with these guys. We provide housing for some of them. Uh, We provide um, resources for them. We want to keep developing them. But I wonder who it is that will come with me. In addition to that, when Phil and I were there in October, we, we made a few observations around the resources that aren't available to train people to get them out of poverty. So Bible school is one thing. We're going to invest in that. We're um, building a structure for a ministry school here that will be international. We'll be discipling students here, but we want to disciple students there as well. So we're working on some plans with that. You watch the space for that. But in addition to that, Phil and I sat down one day over a really bad cup of coffee in Indonesia, and we said, what if we could train some of these ones to work practically to own a business so that they could lift their family out of poverty by earning money? What if we went and we trained them? What if we sat down with them and taught them practical skills? What if we helped families to establish you know, a financial pathway in order that they wouldn't have to scrape and live in poverty? It means we need a base to work from. It means we need somewhere to go. We need to partner with others. I don't know the answer, but I hear God say, who will go? I'm saying, pick me. So I'd love for you to partner with us in that vision. You know, it's much bigger than just us here. It's much bigger. In October each year, we invest heavily in this pastors' conference. These pastors come from far and wide. Indonesia has got um, 375 million people, has 1,700 islands. Some of these pastors took four flights to get to this conference. Phil and I only took three to get there from New Zealand. Crazy, eh? But we make that possible as a church. Us and one other church, we go 50-50 in this conference and we pay for it. Why? Because these pastors are in the far-reaching parts of the country, eating one meal a day, discipling people with the love of Jesus Christ, and they need encouraging. They need teaching. They need equipping. They need mobilizing. And so they come together, we bring them together, and we just love on them. I wonder who's going to come to the conference next October. Be part of a teaching team, or be part of a ministry team, or support the work that's happening there. We must send our love further than our arms can reach. It's what we're called to, our purpose, missional. So as I close, um, Justin, if you can come and play. If I could get the host team to hand out the cards. What I want to do is I want to explain to you how we do that as a church. And um, not just this church, many, many churches that I'm connected with have a process that they call faith commitment for missions. It's, it's very common in our denomination for this to happen. Uh, we were in Adelaide recently with a church who were doing this. We went to learn how they do it. Because a church, same size as us in Adelaide, that in, is involved in Hope Village, they would send a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year into the mission field. Same size as us. And they do it by partnering with God in faith. So these cards work like this. You take them home and you pray as a family. God, would you lead us and how we could be involved in missions this year in partnership with you. On the non-shiny side of the card, it says three questions. Firstly, what could I give to missions next year? 
That is, a, that is a practical question when you look at your budget and you say, you know what? I'm willing to send 20 bucks a week or 20 bucks a day or 20 bucks a month. It might be a one-off gift. You might have just sold something and you think, you know what? I'm going to sow that into God's kingdom. What can I give to missions next year? But the second question, which we got from these guys in Aussie, is what would I give if I made a sacrifice? What if I didn't go shopping? What if I didn't have this hobby? What if I didn't spend money on some things? What could I sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom? Because these are the kinds of kids that we're investing on the screen here. Young kids with fertile hearts who receive the love of God and their lives are transformed far more than you or mine are. These guys don't forget what they're saved from. When you look at the photos on Hope Village Facebook page, you'll see that recently they've been going into villages and giving food parcels. And Anne, one of the founders of Hope Village, she said to me, I cried for days because I'd been sitting in a house getting bitten by fleas, looking at children who were malnourished. And we gave them a parcel that was great, but they've got no hope in their eyes. Because how can their life change? She said to me, they're open to the message of Jesus Christ. They want their lives to change. They see Jesus as the answer and they're willing to receive him as their saviour. Their life is nowhere near like ours. And when we partner with them, that's what we're investing into. So what would you sacrifice in partnership with God in order to sow into the mission field next year? The third one is, what can I believe God to provide? The Bible teaches us that God gives us seed to sow. He might give it to you after you've pledged it. I'm not asking you to be foolish. I'm not asking you to be silly or erratic. I'm not asking you to to do something you're not willing to put your faith into. But I have seen in our life, 